Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com Do not just drop a file on my desk because it's just, to me, it's, it's in my mind, it's disrespecting my space. But now that's something new I got to take care of and I already pre-planned what I wanted to do at this time. So it disrupts me. So I got an inbox, I got an in area. I got an area that's just, I make the mess here, no one else. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, we have Andre Brichland from Ontario as our guest. Hello and welcome, Andre. Good morning, everyone. Um, so, Andre, I like to start off these sessions with understanding the journey into self-employment and to owning your own company. Um, you, you own an engineering firm. Uh, how did you end up owning that and doing that, that gig? Um, my first engineering job I had was a very small engineering firm that worked with uh, unique products, uh, cranes, aerial devices, lifting equipment. And I bought into that about eight, nine years in, and the partners only wanted to stay where they were at, and I did not. So I said, uh, and plus, they were very dynamic. Uh, they, they, didn't, they were too, too stuck in their ways, let's say, and mm -hmm. I wanted to grow, and they didn't. So I just decided to leave and start my own because I didn't want to regret it at 65, what if, what if, what if. So yeah. I said, I'd rather fail and say I tried than sit there and say, what if, what if, and then. Mm -hmm. So you have been on your own then for how long now? Since 2007, Christmas wow, 2007. Okay. 14 years, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so what made you get into engineering as a, a is it, do you like solving puzzles? Like what is engineering to you? I like solving problems and puzzles. Um, to be honest, I think it's just something I was raised with. I was always going to be an engineer. Um, <clears throat> and it just made sense at the time. And I've always been fascinated by st structures, how things are built. And it seemed like a good fit at the time. That's awesome. Now, you and I've had big conversations around some of the things that have happened on your journey from um, a realization perspective, if we will. Um, and I, the term neuro, neurodiverse comes into play, Andre. So maybe could you talk a bit about um, your diagnosis and when that happened and the lead up to that? Um, yeah, two and a half, three years ago, I was diagnosed with <clears throat> severe ADHD. Um, and then shortly after with uh, Asperger's, which is on the autism uh, spectrum. Um, and then just discovered recently that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a gifted adult and that the giftedness was actually identified as a kid, but never provided to me. Um, what does so, that mean, Andre? What does giftedness mean? Um, giftedness is just... Just the, the, the brain again, like with the neurodivergence, this means our brains work differently than yeah. the social norm. 
Um, and the, and the giftedness just means that it's not that we're smarter or better than anyone. It's just that we're, the brain's able to process information quicker mm-hmm. and in a different way in different forms. So not, you know, it could either be math, music, cultural, uh, social interaction. There's a diff- there's a different range of all those uh, types, and that provides its own set of difficulties, especially in kids. Like my daughters are gifted, and they're in the gifted program, which is a big difference. So, yeah. one thing is intellectual stimulation is very very important. Okay, especially with the gifted. So we got the ADHD part. And you need to be interested. Right. If there's yes. no interest, you do not care. Okay. And, and you cannot, you can't force yourself to do it. If you try to force yourself to do something boring, interesting, you burn a lot of mental energy. And then your executive mm-hmm. functioning skills go down. Um, and then it's just, it's a little more difficult. Right on. So, what was going on to make you seek out? Uh, somebody to even get a diagnosis to say, Hey, I'd like to see, I'd like to know if you can put a name to this. Um, I've been calling it my life tempest. Um, about, well, I guess it's five years now. Um, about five years ago, I did not realize this, but I was getting bored with my engineering company Mm because it became self-managing. I grew it. I achieved all my goals. There's no longer new challenges or new things to learn or new interest. So I got bored. So I got into a bad partnership with another company to expand my company and their services. And subconsciously, I knew it was a bad deal, but I still went through it anyways, because something new, uh, something to learn. And, and then with the giftedness, it's an intensity. You get, you're all in very, very over the top. Yeah. So I got into that. Um, the partnership went way bad to the point where they're gaslighting me. The, 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 what the lead, um, salesman was gaslighting me so I can explode. He figured out me and that's a lot to do with the emotional dysregulation on the ADHD side. Um, then it got to the point where I was freaking out on my kids for no reason, realizing that I was, you know, I'm kind of like acting like my parents, which I, that freaked me out. Um, got in a bad depression and walked away. And I just always knew that something was not, there's a part of the piece of the puzzle was missing. And for, I don't know, since year 2000, I've been doing assessments and personality trait assessments. I've done almost every, all of them paid, unpaid to try and identify myself to understand me. Um, and at the time I didn't realize I was actually trying to find my faults and my weaknesses so I can work on them. Cause it was not, I'm not, I don't work the same way as the majority of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I've been doing all that, that one little puzzle piece was missing. So I went in to disprove it was ADHD. Okay. Because it seemed too convenient, too convenient of, a, a, a diagnosis to make my 40 years make sense. Interesting. Um, I always look at, um, I, you hear a lot about ADHD, you hear a lot about ADHD and entrepreneurs in particular, and I feel like there's blessings and curses to that. Um, what would you say the good side of knowing about this diagnosis and what it does, uh, how your brain works? I think, yes, there's what they call symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
if the symptoms are managed in their ADHD strengths. Okay. Okay. Um, it's like anything else, like, you know, um, using my strengths finder, I'm a learner. My mm -hmm. top strength is learner. So when I'm, if I use that properly, it helps me. But if I don't use it properly, overuse it, I, it's, it becomes a stagnation tool. If that makes sense. Okay. So even your strengths can become your weaknesses if they're underutilized or overutilized. So like me, impulsivity is huge. Okay. Huge. Um, how does that, that manifest works? itself? Uh, how does that, how does it show up? The impulsivity is uh, last minute decisions, quick decisions. A lot of it is verbal impulsivity. So if I really don't care, it gets more and more. Um, so that has impeded uh, jobs. Uh, like the best story I can tell is when in my first job, we went, moved into a new building to build, to, to build up a fabrication service. Um, the guy was older, I was young, and there's these kids running around. And if I would have just given it half a second more thought, I would have said, who are the kids? Rather than say, oh, I like, I like to see your grandkids here hanging out with you. And he looks at me and says, they're my kids, 10 and 11. Right? So stuff like that. But at the same time, the impulsivity helps me because we're in a tight, tight squeeze uh, situation, like a lot of construction site problems that we solve. Um, it's a lot of impulsive thinking too, for me on my side. Um, but at the same time is by impulsively saying things, I find my solutions come out quicker. Okay. So, so do you think that you, you, do you see connections to, to solve problems? Do you see the connections that others don't see, or do you jump to them faster or? It's jumping faster. Like the, the brain, the ADHD brain does not stop. It's always moving, 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 always thinking, jumping. You know, that's where the divergence part, I think, comes into play that what they call neurodivergence is just it's all over the place at the same time. So I can really connect the dots that most people see these dots that don't make sense. Like, how did you connect these dots when there's nothing that connects them? But to me, it's night and day. Like right. I say, like when my unique abilities, I can find I can see holes where people don't see them and then I put them together. That's so cool. Um, what have you, how have you structured yourself to try and stay in the path of, the, of optimization? Because it sounds like if you go too far right or too far left, yeah. um, then you're, then you're off track and it's not working for you. So how do you stay in the lane? What have it's, you done to do that? I've created many structures and routines Okay. And without realizing like, like my psychiatrist told me for me to get where I, like I graduated engineering on time, even for me, that was a surprise. I started and I started two successful companies and they're good. Um, I created my own systems and routines to overcome my symptoms without realizing them. What are so, the biggest routines that you follow then that have been the most helpful? Well, I have two. So what I didn't realize is when I started having staff, and there was a lot of surprises, you know, they weren't delivering things on time. They weren't in a project as far as they should have been. And what I started doing is I created uh, policies or standard operating procedures yep. so that they always do the same thing at the same time. And that, 
you know, if we're at a certain stage of a project and even using common terms, like we're no longer using, you know, you have a term for this stage of the project and you have a different, everyone uses the same term. So that was for, for me to make sure. So that was me creating a system to, for me to understand where we are. And then once they had the procedures, things were repeated the same way and there's less surprises coming out. Um, and right now, and then most people prefer to have a system to follow anyways. Um, one of the big key things that even my wife found irritating or annoying or funny, which most people find funny and doesn't make sense is like my morning routine is very key to a successful day. Okay. I pre-pick all my clothes the night before. They're in the same spot. I have a corner of a hutch with my hat that has everything I need that day is in there the, the night before. Um, and I go downstairs the same way. I go to get my medication. I go get my phone and I go in, you know, shower, change. No decisions are made that morning. Okay. Once I'm out the door, I have not made any decisions. Everything's in the same place. Everything that I need. So all the pre-think has been done the day before. And that is that was to conserve mental energy, executive mm. functioning. So if something's out of whack, I will forget things. Like the other day, I usually put my laptop bag at my shoes. And as I got the stuff out of my hat, I decided, oh, I got to go into my shop to get this uh, safety equipment so I can go to site. That disrupted my routine. So I went all the way to the office without my laptop bag. But I stepped right by it. I didn't see it. Right. Because it's, yeah. So, and that threw out, that throws off my day. Absolutely. I can't, if someone puts a, like even a sheet of paper on top of my hat, I can't see it. Interesting. And then it throws me off. Now so how, how did you, how, how do you communicate these? things to your family like if you had have you had discussions around this with them after the diagnosis yes once we understood what it was about did that help having oh, yeah. a name yeah yeah and then even at the office i shared this there's that's why things even in my office i got things in certain places and i do things in a certain way and like my morning time is my hyper focus time and yeah. to just leave me alone and if you need to put a file, do not just drop a file on my desk because it's just, to me, it's, it's in my mind, it's disrespecting my space, but now that's something new I got to take care of and I already pre-planned what I wanted to do at this time. So it disrupts me. So I got an inbox. I got it in area. I got an area that's just, I make the mess here. No one else. Okay. Right. Um, how, how do, how do people react at work? Like your staff and things like that? Like, um, was it helpful for them to have the diagnosis as well? Um, have you guys worked together on coming up with systems to optimize everything? Um, yeah, um, well, I definitely clarified a lot of things for, for my, like my, my engineering manager has been with me 10 years for sure. It just, it makes all, oh, it makes sense and understands. Mm -hmm. And that's why now we kind of say, I, it makes sense now not to do certain things and, and for them to understand what the why. Like Harry, if everyone understands why, it, it's easier to solve or, or uh, try to prevent down the yeah. road. So. Um, 
when it comes to you've mentioned all about the person are the assessments and things that you were doing and i know you've done a lot of work with colby what has attracted you to to those types of uh, measurements and how do you use them uh, at work um i've used colby i was introduced in 2011 when i joined strategic coach that's where we we, we met yep and you're given four numbers in four different action modes for fact findings, which is sharing information, follow through, which is systematizing and organizing, structuring uh, work or problem solving. Quick start is how you uh, deal with risk and uncertainty and implementer, which is your how you deal with tangible, real, real things. Um, that explained a lot. I'm a fact finder, so I need a lot of details. Yeah. And it kind of gave me, it, again, it was a way for me to explain to people a why. You know, if someone wants a new computer, just don't tell me one new computer because it's crap. I need more details so I can make a better decision. Or when I start a project, I need time to get all the facts first before I do anything else. And then with that, I mixed with the StrengthsFinder 2.0 from Gallup. Mm -hmm. identifies your top five strengths that made a lot of clarity for me being learner self-assured individualism which i really like to understand the person mm -hmm. not just a global uh generalization um and then when i introduced colby to my company it was a great tool to communicate yes like my engineering manager he's a initiating implementer so he's a very physical present guy if we're going to talk about, you know, my cell phone, most people, we can just, well, there it is, sorry, discuss it, describe it, and have a conceptual conversation you can envision. Him, he can't. It'd be better to have it. Here's he has he to touch it. it. It'd be better if he can touch it, right? So I used to go to site. I do scribble notes. I do scribble sketches. Say, here, do we solve this problem? And it would take him forever, and I almost fired him. Because he couldn't figure it out. I thought he was an idiot. But then I had the conversation. He's an implementer. Since uh, he couldn't physically go to site, and my sketches were really crap, not good for an implementer, is if he can't be there physically, to take more pictures. So I started taking way more pictures, and then I changed the way we communicated. Then once he got that, he needed time to make it real in his mind. And then it was night and day. So we really figured out how to communicate by knowing each other's Colby's. So we each have four numbers and then you can identify early, you know, you got to change your way to communicate just because I prefer to be communicated this way doesn't mean I'm going to communicate that way to you. Right. People yeah, yeah. who, a lot of people just want the point uh, bullet points and then off they go. I need a lot more than bullet points. I need details. So need the whole appendix. Yeah. And that's what a, a resistant a fact finder would say. <laughs> show me everything <laughs> so i've been and then the thing is with the what i really like about the colby is it's the third part of the mind that a lot of people don't understand it's the cognitive part of the mind which is how you do things you have your cognitive mind which is what you learn and what you know yeah. your affective is your emotions what you like to do what you love to do and what you hate to do and then the cognitive mind is what you do, what you what you will do, willing to do, and won't do. And she's got forty years of data that basically, once you've identified your four numbers, um, 
you've that's it doesn't change and they've got a 25 year study that says they it'll change one or one or two numbers plus or minus one and statistically doesn't make any change so and you've been like this your whole life so every time you solve a problem this is how you're going to do it mm-hmm. and i've seen it here and there and everywhere um that it's a very valid it's it's, it's a great tool great communication tool and and then how to you know I got some customers who's got their Colby and I got some customers who don't, but I've been a consultant since 2014. So I'm starting to see some patterns and we, you know, engineers don't like to take risk most. Okay. We got a lot of customers that like to take risks. So there's a little bit of conflict there and they keep changing their minds. So then I got to go in there and kind of, you know, we, since we understand they like to do this, you can't be surprised when they change your mind. Right. 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 My engineers who are very systematic, I create a system to try to uh, harness our chaotic customers. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got one customer says, we don't do anything until he comes back and repeats the same idea twice, or he's around round four or five. Because <laughs> he changes his mind, he's always thinking. And then once we got that in place, the, the team had a system now, then we weren't wasting time. Right. You were supporting him on the journey to getting to the final decision, yeah. but you weren't necessarily taking action yeah. until he got there. Because a lot of fall throughs, once you, even if it's just a hypothetical conversation, they take that as a direction to go and they'll go. Oh, okay. Right. Yes. So. Um, I'm going to switch gears just a little because Andre, I follow you on Facebook and I'm constantly amazed by the Lego things you built. How did you get into Lego and what does, putting the most complex Lego things I've ever seen put together do for you? Well, Lego, I've been doing this since I was a kid. My first space Lego kit was in 1984. Oh gosh, okay. So it's a throwback. Does it put you into a meditative state? Does it it settle your mind? It's completely meditative. Uh, It's one of those things where with the ADHD brain that doesn't stop. Yes. Um, it's hard, you know, I've been told to find ways to relax and turn your, you know, and, and have zero thoughts, which is physically impossible, but every time, and then being able to do something and focus on one thing is very difficult. And that's the one thing I always found with Lego was I can just sit down, do the Lego kits. And that's all I can focus on is one thing. And then, and that's a big mental break. If I can just yeah. worry about one thing, like, not like neurodive um neurotypicals will not ever understand how that is a big mental break how it frees up energy and just your brain feels <laughs> rejuvenated let's put it that way oh interesting are there any other activities you have that give you that break that help you rejuvenate um guitar playing guitar mm. is another one um Karate has been a good one, except for this COVID stuff, but uh, karate lately, that's one of the ones that I can physically do, get a physical workout and only focus on one thing. Yeah. I can do two hour sessions and go out and just feel like I'm physically dead, beat up, bruised, but I go out there feeling on heaven because it's not, you know, it's because it's just my, my brain was able to have a two hour break. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and what's interesting is they're th- so diverse in terms of the activities. So one, you know, the, the Lego, the, the music and the uh, karate are also different and probably tap different parts of your brain as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's all different for every, you know, they always say, if you've met 
one person ADHD, then you've only met one person with that ADHD. Okay. So we all have the same symptoms, but the internet, you know, some like boredom and impulsivity for me is, is high and emotional dysregulations and some will be low. So even that's all on the spectrum. Right. Executive functioning. Uh, some people are have no executive function. And what is executive functioning, Andre? If executive functioning is how you, you function to achieve goals. Okay. Short-term memory is one. Um, like a neuro, neurotypical person can have 10 things in their mind and remember them. That's why phone numbers are nine digits. So you can hold nine digits in your head until yeah. you write down. So if you get, if we, so if you can hold 10 things and you put 11, you just like marbles on a track, then the, the, the first one's going to drop off. Okay. Right? You put another one. So you're always going to have 10, but an ADHD person, we're about three to five things we can hold in our minds at once. So that's why people keep saying you aren't listening or you keep forgetting. Well, it's just that I can only hold five things in my mind. So if you keep piling on, the first few drop off. And we saw that with our both our kids who are ADHD. Yeah. Go upstairs, clean your room. That's all we do. They come back down for the next step because if we start going to do this, 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 they can't remember it all because they physically right. do not remember it all. So planning, setting goals are um, part of the executive functioning. Um, organizing yourself is a big one. Um, and if there's no interest in something, it's very hard to organize yourself to get moving. What are so the what, things that bore you the most these days? Uh, repetitive work that I've already figured out years ago. Mm, you've solved so, that challenge. Yeah. So to go back in the executive functioning, like I've always had a logbook. Yeah. Um, so I write everything down, everything that I've done today, everyone I talk to work related. Okay. Um, is, is another one where to, I was another system that I created to always have um, to overcome a symptom I didn't realize I had. The detailed notes, because you know yeah. you're not going to remember. Yeah. And for me, I need details. Yeah. Detailed notes, because I'm right. a fact finder. Yeah. Does it bother you that we're not teaching cursive in school anymore? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask because it bothers me. <laughs> How do you sign your name? <laughs> I think that's the only thing they're teaching. I don't know. Anyway. Well, we're taught our kids how to do it. And they actually got in trouble because they're supposed to print their names on their tests and that and they're signing them. So that at least they're legible. That's right. Well, I mean, I think when I think about how important it is that you take these notes and have that notebook, if there's no other digital way to do that, what is the new generation going to be able to do from a coping mechanism perspective? Because uh, even yeah. the writing itself is a way to hit it into your head, right? It's proven over and over. If it's written by hand, it stays in your mind and your memory better and you learn better than once you start typing on a computer, you, it doesn't use the creative part of your mind. And then like um, with the writing aspect, it's, ah, see, that's the other thing, ADHD. I had a good, I good, had a good point and it's gone. I'll be back. It's going to be awesome. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> give you that for sure. Um, when you think about um, the fact that what you said earlier, that there's no, 
one way that this presents like ADHD and all these other neurodiverse things. Mm -hmm. How, how would you say, like, if you met someone and they said, Oh, I think I might have something, what would you advise them to do? Uh, And knowing that you're not a doctor and this is not a prescription, but it's just your experience. It's, it's getting help is going to talk to psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, to someone to start the process. And for me, I, I just researched it before I went. You just um, have a lot of detail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm a learner. So I, the yeah. more, I, it's not the being a learner means I'm, I love the process of learning. It's not necessarily the topic, right? If I haven't learned anything in a while, I'll even take a pottery class. Right? Okay. Just it's the process of learning is what's important. Not necessarily what I learned. Were you ever worried about judgment? because of uh, going to these professionals or getting a diagnosis? Was that something that ever crossed your mind as a, as a barrier to going and doing what you needed to do? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that was part of, it was in my thought, because I was raised, if you went and got psychological help, you were an embarrassment to the family. Okay. Um, it's still that way with the one parent. Um, but in a way I've been judged my whole life Mm-hmm. No matter what I did, so what's new? I've never been afraid to be out there. Yeah. Um, and I've been out there. I've done a lot of crazy, fun stuff, and put myself in firing range many times. But to me, it was it was important for me to s- solve this so I can keep a relationship with my kids, and my kids didn't go through what I did when I was a kid. Mm. So you know, it you know, in a way, it was it wasn't for me; it was for them. Right. I was not me. I knew I was not me, but that's not what they see. Right. When I saw the look on both of their faces that day, just freaking out for no reason. And my mind going, you're freaking out for no reason. You got to settle down. And then my other mind goes, I know, but it is what it is. And then seeing that look, I was like, Oh my God, something's got to change. Right. So I went to my general practitioner and since I was diabetic at the time, I saw him every three months and I talked to him for almost a year, every three months until he said, fine, I'll refer you. I don't think it is ADHD, but I'll refer you anyways, because you're harassing me. <laughs> Persistence does work, eh? Well, and, and it was, it was a respectable, mature persistence. Yes. Like I came in with information and, you know, I wasn't just saying, Hey, I'm looking for drugs, but it's, it's this, there's still a big stigmatism. Like you don't have ADHD because you're smart. You're, you don't have ADHD because you got a successful business. Hmm. Did well at school. Like right now I'm dealing with the psychiatrist for my daughter. Since she's in the gifted program, she no longer has problems at schools. Since we have, we work with her to overcome her symptoms and her to understand she's having less social problems, but the psychiatrist, she doesn't have any problems. She doesn't have ADHD as per the book, but and since she's gifted, she can't be. So we still have that stigma. That's not interesting that everyone still wants you in a box. Yeah. Well, kudos for you for doing the work to get out of the box. Um, I think it's so important, the conversation that we've had, Andre, about this, um, because as you said, you know, it seems like even knowing it has helped a lot of your mental health in all other areas and made sure that, you know, you're, you are communicating how, how, how to work with you, which makes all the difference as well. Um, yeah. I'd like to open up the floor now. Does anyone have a question? So Debbie has a question. I'm going to bring her down as she, as she unmutes herself. 
Oh, you got it. There you go. Got her done. Thank you, Wendy. Andre, delighted that you're here. I um, have had the good pleasure to coach a lot of neurodiverse people in the commercial construction industry. And some of those people I coached into getting a diagnosis and it was life altering, you know, liberating and a beautiful thing that happened in their life. Was that your experience? Uh, yeah, it was definitely liberating. Um, the term beautiful is not something I would use, <laughs> but I'm not that type of person. Um, it was, it was clarity. It was definitely clarity. Um, and at the same time, now that I got the diagnosis, I got a name on it. Woohoo. It's still crap. Um, I've lost 40 years of my life. It's like, I wish I would have known sooner. Oh, it's ADHD at the negative stigmatism still from how it was, you're raised still comes back. So there's still a struggle there. Um, to communicate to people, it's still a struggle. So as good as it was, it's still a struggle no matter what. But like I said before, I got no issues wearing it on my forehead. Um, you know, I joined the, um, the Canadian Center of ADHD of Canada, or Center of ADHD Awareness Canada, CADAC. They're now an official charity. I'm a director and we're working, and I'm working with uh, some French translation stuff with them too. Um, so I've joined those groups and, and I'm sharing a lot of information. So we still run into people that says it's fake. It's not real. Um, but, you know, you can't convince someone who doesn't want to learn. So you just ignore them and, and move on to the next. Mm. So and can I ask a follow up question? Yes, um, as I, I'm a woman who's acquired a disability and one of my transitions was in that um, accepting your disabled self because I was pretty high functioning before. Uh -huh. um, have you journeyed through that transition? Have you accepted, you know, are you still rejecting your disabled self? Um, no, no, it, it took probably six months for me to, I probably spent six months trying to disprove it, the diagnosis that it didn't make sense. And that was the denial stage. Um, and then once, but at the same time as I was, my whole life's always, always been about being given something and taken away. And I was afraid of that ADHD being taken away. So I was trying to find a way to disprove it. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, once I kind of, I did in the doc, in the psychiatrist's office, I finally looked at him and says, it is, it is ADHD and I've, I've accepted it. Then things got better, mm. but we, it's all, it's the grieving process and <laughs> someone ADHD, it takes time. It takes patience and ADHD. It's a go, go, go. Let's get going. Right. So sitting down and waiting has been painful, but it is what it is. And understanding that part of my brain where I was, I was always at 150%. It's either all in or all out. And there was no in between. And I've been all in for my whole life and physically tiring. So now that I know that I'm actually doing less, um, but I got to schedule it. <laughs> if I don't schedule time off, if I don't schedule shop time and like to work in my woodworking shop or plan, nothing gets done. Or I get or I get into randomness stuff where like some days I like to have ADHD days where you wake up, nothing planned and just tinker and do whatever. So. <laughs> That's so cool. How often do you do those, Andre? 
I like to try to do once a week. <clears throat> okay. But if I don't schedule leisure time, it doesn't happen. I can always find a work reason or a chore reason, something that needs to get done. <clears throat> and that so there's a lot of pressure on yourself to do things, get it done fast on a schedule. And so you have to work against that by scheduling the time off. Is that what you're saying? Right. Because yeah. in my mind, I, if I can get all this stuff done now, then I have more free time in the future. Right. But there's always something new, something new, something new that I never have any time for free time in the future. That was a big eye opener for me. Yeah, uh, it must have been. And um, yeah, and how, how long did it take you to come to that one? 44 years. <laughs> well, better late than never, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that took a probably, uh, probably, it's probably been eight months. Eight months. Yeah. Now, so that's been almost two years after the diagnosis. Okay. But it's, it's just being aware and paying attention and seeing the patterns and and coming to the point to accept it because there's a lot of guilt around that. If I if I if I take time off, yeah, then or free time at home, then I'm nothing's getting done. Either my wife does it or my kids does it, and you feel guilty not doing the chores because they're doing chores at the same time, and then it just gets into that, and then the mind just keeps going, ruminates, and the next thing you know, it's. You know, I've gotten up and says, okay, if I'm just going to do this one chore, then I'm going to go in the shop for the rest of the day. Now it's 10 o'clock at night. And I haven't even touched the shop, but the house or bunch of chores are done. Hmm. Right. Stuff like that. Interesting. Does anyone else have any questions? Melanie, I'll bring you down. Hey, Andre, that was fascinating. Um, Thank you. I, I, I love problems. I'm not an engineer, I'm not technical in any way. Um, but I often wonder um, if that's a path I would have taken had I seen that as an opportunity. It's just, you didn't see a lot of, I'm 47, so you didn't see a lot of uh, female yeah, engineers yeah. or female science students. Usually they were pushed to science. Our but, generation was pushed to science for women. Yeah, yeah, so, but I, I find it really interesting and I, I don't know if that would have been something and I'm happy anyway, but my, my question to you is, do you, I feel as though you said you, it, it was just natural that you were always going to be an engineer, which seems to, with problems and structures and solutions, it seems to be like, I feel, do you feel as though you were very lucky to have found that? Or do you think it was so early on? And do you think it helped give you a little bit of structure and maybe helped you be so high functioning for so long? Um, no, in short. <laughs> uh that's the asperger's coming out <laughs> <Sorry. That's awesome. laughs> um, if what i meant by it felt natural course of uh, natural it felt natural to become engineer because i was pushed i don't think it felt naturally um, to me i don't okay. i don't think i would have gone engineering if i was truly free to be myself make my own decision that's that's what i was referring to um, so going in into engineering it felt natural going into engineering because i was pushed by the schools by my parents everyone uh, okay. So, so what would you have done? Sorry. I don't know. And that's part of my struggle right now. Mm. Um, like I enjoyed, it was great because I learned a lot. It was a lot of problem solving, but mm. an ADHD mind doesn't matter what the problem is. I don't care what problem it is type. It doesn't have to be engineering. 
like with the with the Colbys, I like working. Like I started another company called Tactical Breakthroughs, where I work with ADHD gifted people and teams, and I bring these assessments so people can learn how to communicate better. I can I like going into companies that aren't working well and get them to work well. So it doesn't matter what type of problem it is, we're going to want to solve it. And that's a lot to do with the gifted side too. But um, so I don't know. And that's part of my struggle right now. I got a successful engineering company. I'm starting this kind of a coaching company, tactical breakthroughs. Um, I don't know where I would have been. Probably more of a technical, physical somehow, because I do, like I am a five implementer. So I'm right in the middle of the conceptual and real. Um, and I need both. Um, so, but that's, you know, I was taught to be a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain way. And I really want to get the hell out of the house. So it was easier to just go engineering route. <laughs> it was the path of least resistance at the time. Yeah. And then honestly, university, I got lucky because I got in with a good group of high achieving people. Um, I was a high achiever and my ability to hyper-focus and learn from a book is the only reason I passed exams because I did nothing during the terms. I had a lot of fun. I was involved with the social union. I ran every event there was possible, but when it came to the, the exams, I was able to sit there for 16 hours and read and learn days on end and then do the exams and off I go. Do you think that's one of the common misconceptions? Sorry, I just jumped in again with another question. <laughs> the follow-up question is good. Do you think there's a lot of misconceptions around ADHD that people can't focus and they forget about the, that amazing ability? It's not that they can't, it's that the interest level, like you said, have to be there. Do you, do you run into that sometimes? Like maybe people, you've got this diagnosis, but there's a bit of an education piece because we don't all truly understand what it is. Yeah. In the ADHD world, everyone's trying to change the term ADHD, which I think is a waste of energy because I do agree it's not correct. Yeah. It's not that we got an attention deficit is we got too much attention. It's yeah. hard to focus on one thing. Yes. If we're not interested, it can't focus on one thing. It's all over the place. Yeah. But an ability is hyper-focused. Once I'm in, I go in. Um, and, and I can, like, even my wife's noticed, like, if I'm hyper-focused, I can, she has to stop me to, to get me to eat, to get drinks, to pull me back, to pull me out, because I can be in the shop or do something for 24 hours. Like, I read a textbook, an aluminum design textbook for a project I did. Aluminum is a different type of material, it has special characteristics and we didn't learn that in school but I took on a project because it was interesting never did it and had no time to figure it out but I ate, I read 800 pages in a day and a half like I did 16 hours that first day and then five hours the next day I read the whole textbook I learned how to design aluminum did the design and then within four days model drawings was all done but that's all I can do and focus and I ignore customers and and <laughs> That's, you know, that's the downfall. Once you're in, and if you get disrupted, whoa, don't get this, don't disrupt someone hyper-focus. It's, it's not good. Um, but yeah, you got to educate them. Um, a lot of people still think, still think it's an excuse. Um, but the thing is, it's, I was listening to a podcast and they're saying ADHD is the only diagnosis and neural uh, biological condition that's diagnosed because it's a burden to others oh oh wow that's our symptoms disrupt others 
So they're trying to change us to be typical. And that's when the problems occur. If you don't let us to be free and work within our, you know, or provide a scaffolding or uh, 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 not accountabilities, but um, I forget the A word there. Uh, accommodations, then will work well. But yeah. since it's not the norm and we don't, do what everyone else does, then they try to force us to work within the social norms. So it's disruptive to others, but not to us. So that's where, when I saw that, it's, it's kind of true. Cause it's so true. Yeah. I, I, that was a, that was a, a pretty big light bulb moment hearing that one, Andre. Yeah, that is for sure. Um, what it, happens? It's just educating people and being patient and, you know, it's, it's like anything else. You can't, you can't, there won't be believers all across. There's always going to be naysayers. But I'll tell you one thing. When you talk to someone else with ADHD, and we just had one last night. We had a, a Kadak, uh, the charity board I'm on for ADHD. We had a little committee group. And we, we actually went from the fundraising discussion to Colby. And three of us are all ADHD. And this, that, this, that. And it's like, like, well, you understand, you understand. I had that conversation with my youngest daughter her impulsivity was getting her trouble in school and she was being gaslit. She tried to explain stuff to my, to my wife and to other people, but couldn't understand it. And I pulled her aside. And I said, here, let me explain to you what I think is going on with impulsivity, right? You have an idea in your head. It'd be funny to put my nose up there, or my finger up their nose. <laughs> and next thing you know, your finger's up their nose. And she goes, exactly. I don't think. It just happens. So that's the impulsivity. So it's, it's, it's very hard to explain this stuff to people that can't understand and never will. Like the racing mind, just calm down, relax, and everything will be fine. But I can't turn this off. Mm -hmm. I have to calm it down so I can sleep or I can do things. I've learned so much about ADHD. So thank you for sharing. So you've no educated me. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. That's what I aim to do. Now what have I not? With tactical breakthroughs. Yeah, exactly. I think that's brilliant that you're doing that. What is, um, what is it, what I haven't I asked you or what do you want to, is there any parting comments about um, that you think would help others? Just because they don't act like you doesn't mean they're idiots. <laughs> right. Why? Why are they reacting that way? Why? Do they need something a certain way? Ask the why and figure it out. Just because it's it's weird to you or not normal to you doesn't mean it's they're they're incapable. Wow. Okay. I um I think that we'll end on that, Andre. That was fascinating. And I think the real bottom line here is is that um neuro neurodiverse isn't doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that we all have to adjust how we deal. Correct. And we all got our own strengths. Yeah. Just because you're neurodiverse doesn't mean you're better than the neuro uh, neurotypicals. It's just we all got different strengths and abilities. And if you just let people use their strengths and abilities, then we can all we can all do amazing things together. And that is the real bottom line. Correct. Thank you for listening to the real bottom line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. 
to learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.